morning, everybody. Beautiful weather, amen? That cool. We had the windows open yesterday, and that was really good to feel that good, clean air coming through, right? <clears throat> it uh, smells so good. That breeze felt so nice, and it just makes you appreciate how awesome God is, amen? Just how awesome of a God He is and, and the blessings that He bestows on us every day, both material and most of all, spiritual. If you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, we'll be looking over the next several weeks on a series that I'm excited to get into called A Beautiful Mind. <clears throat> a Beautiful Mind. And I set this up on purpose, husband, so please take advantage of it, because I'm going to. You'll know what I'm talking about in a minute. What makes a beautiful mind? What does the word beautiful mean? The definition of beautiful is a very high standard. To be excellent. You know, we know what a beautiful person looks like, right? We know what beautiful flowers look like. And we know what a beautiful scenery is. So husbands... You can do it now, you can do it later. Grab your wife's hand and tell her she is beautiful. Because to me, my wife is beautiful. It's great points that I'm going to get for that. Maybe not that I said it, but... <laughs> I thought about that the whole time I set it up. It wasn't quite the delivery that I wanted, but it's still going to work, so... But the reason why I wanted to title this sermon series the way, this way is because of the area of Scripture that we're going to be talking about this morning and for the next several weeks. You know, it's called the Beatitudes. It's been referred to as the central document of the Christian faith. It's the code of Christian discipleship. Beatitude, the word itself, means a state of utmost bliss, exalted happiness, or supreme blessedness. Those who follow these teachings of Jesus will have a beautiful mind. Why is that? Because the Beatitudes do some things to us. What they do is they cause us to discipline ourselves to be just like Jesus. You know, the world laughs at the thought of this list. And when you think about it in worldly terms, it's kind of a weak list. You mean these qualities are going to make you blessed? Yeah, right. You see, there's a difference, though, in the way the world views things and the way we do. Amen? A big difference. So, why is it so important for us as children of God to understand these truths and make them a part of our lives? Because Jesus, early in His ministry, 
wanted all the followers there and now today to see what it takes to be a disciple. And Jesus said something else that we really need to think about and also be excited about. Jesus starts every single one of these statements with the word blessed. Let's go ahead and get into the lesson. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Look with me in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now I want to handle a couple words in this verse, and then I want to get down to the nitty gritty. What poor in spirit means. But the first thing, what does blessed mean? Because in order to understand this and the rest of these beatitudes, we have to understand what that word blessed means. The word blessed means happy or supremely blessed, fortunate, and I like this one, well off. Jesus says, if you will make these a part of your life, then you're blessed. You're well off. Romans chapter 6 Verse 22 says, But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. Being blessed in the world's eyes is a little bit different though, isn't it? Being blessed in the world's eyes is a standard of living. Big cars, big houses, fancy threads, right? but not to a Christian. A Christian is blessed by the standard of his righteousness. Boy, what a trick Satan puts on us, don't he? What a trick Satan puts into our minds to think that the way we're successful in our lives is by the things that we have. But what we see from the Beatitudes is that the ones who keep these commands are the ones who are part of the kingdom of heaven. See, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I want to talk about that for just a second. The kingdom of heaven. You know, this term shouldn't simply be thought of as just those going to heaven one day, which is true. While that is absolutely the truth, Jesus doesn't say, catch what he says, that theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. No, what does he say? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There are the ones who are a part of the kingdom of heaven now. I'm so excited about what God's doing in my life personally because as I was studying for this lesson had a Bible study, and this is where we went. Talking about the kingdom of heaven. God will help you and guide you if you allow Him. Amen? If you're in His Word and you're trying to seek His will, the things that you have in your life will just come together and you will grow spiritually. He is just awesome like that. 
But I want us to think about that. Being blessed means that you get to be a part of the kingdom of heaven if you do this certain act that he talks about. The kingdom of heaven represents that there is a king who is ruling over us right now. Amen? 1 Peter 3.22 says, Who has gone into heaven, Jesus, and is at the right hand of God, angels, authorities, and powers having been made subject to Him. We're talking about the King of kings and the Lord of lords over all. Those who are in this kingdom enjoy the benefits as citizens of this kingdom. They receive the designation as children of God in relationship with the Father because they've been redeemed. Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. And verse 14 says, In whom we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins. Why did I title this series Beautiful Minds? Because as we put what Jesus says into practice, we will produce fruit that's beautiful. And it will cause others around us to take notice. Not so we can get the pat on the back, not so we can get the attaboy, I remember they used to, they would never admit it in a million years. But then people at work, and I, I ain't even going to lie, I probably wanted it sometimes too. I wanted that attaboy. Doesn't that feel good to get that? Hey, I appreciate it. And I'm not saying that that's bad to get one of those. And we should encourage each other. But that's not what I'm longing for. That's not what I'm striving for if I'm a child of God. I'm not searching, uh, searching for God to say, you know what, I appreciate what you're doing, Matt. Do I want to be pleasing to Him? Absolutely. And that's good enough, isn't it? It's good enough to just do what He says. Because I know if I do what He says, I am blessed. As we live our lives here on this earth, if we do what the Lord tells us to do, we will be blessed. And in the life to come. So here's the question as we begin thinking about this. What's the most important thing in your life right now? What's the most important thing? You or the king? What's the most important thing in your life? You or the king? Remember when the world looks at what disciples of Jesus must be about, they say, really? That, that's what you're doing? Huh. That, that's really what you're trying to do? And the response to that should be absolutely yes. Because disciples understand how awesome it is to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. A part of of the kingdom of heaven. We are children of the king. So what does poor in spirit mean? Matthew 5, 3, look at it and then we'll, 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 we'll go from there. Very simple 
verse, but boy, what fruit come out of it. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What happens when we put ourselves in the number one spot? Follow me for a minute. What happens when we put us in the number one spot and God may be three or four or five, whatever He is on your list? What do we train ourselves to become when we are the most important? We become self-sufficient, don't we? What characteristic begins to grow when someone is like this? Pride, right? Now, is that always a bad thing? No. We want our kids to be self-sufficient, don't we, parents? So when they grow up, they don't depend on everybody all the time, right? Because we understand how life works. We want to train them to be able to have a job and, and do the things that they're supposed to do and pay their bills the right way and have their checkbook put in the right amount and where it needs to go and have all the bills paid so you can have money to last till the next week or whatever. Because we want them to be self-sufficient. We want them to be able to be successful. But I'm not talking about that type of self-sufficiency. I'm talking about spiritual self-sufficiency. The less and less God is in our lives, we become more and more independent from Him. And our decisions become the best. And then our decisions become all that there is. And that's where pride comes in. Not willing to listen to anybody except ourselves. We get in our heads that we can do it by ourselves, And we can stand on our own feet. So get out the way. I got this. You ever been there? Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We all understand what it means to be poor physically, right? To be a low state. To be inferior or below the standard of quality. I remember when I used to run the printing press and we grabbed the books and the supervisor would come by and he grabbed the sheet. He was checking the quality of the sheet to make sure it wasn't of poor quality. And he'd mark it off and he'd have a thing and he'd staple it and he'd give it to me. And if it was in bad shape, the, the, the bad uh, box that he would check would say poor quality. What's poor quality? It's not to the standard. But what does it mean to be poor in spirit? It's those who have abandoned pride and a sense of self-sufficiency in knowledge and in righteousness. It's those who realize that they are spiritually bankrupt. This goes deep. You could read this verse and pass over it and miss all the nutrients that it's trying to get us to understand. Spiritually bankrupt. No money in the bank. And you know it and you acknowledge it. 
It's those who realize that God and He alone is the only one that can meet our, our spiritual and physical needs. I know I'm doing a lot of talking right here, but I'm setting this up, brethren. Just hang with me. When someone comes to the understanding that they are poor in spirit, they are willing to seek and do God's will and not their own. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you becomes who you are. Those who are poor in spirit know that God is the only one that can help and the only one to depend on. And brethren, write this verse down. Read the context of this verse that I'm about to show because what is happening in the context in Jeremiah chapter 29 is he's about to lead the people out of Babylon. And look at what he says. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Somebody who is poor in spirit understands this principle because they will seek God and they will find Him. And how will they do that? Because they're searching with all of their heart. What does that look like in practice? Turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Yesterday in the Saturday morning Bible study, the lesson was actually on this. And the guy did a great job at, at explaining the parable of the lost son. But I want us to just think about a couple things from... This lesson, well-known scripture about the prodigal son who goes off and wastes his money. But I want us to catch a couple things and I want us to see how somebody looks who is poor in spirit and somebody who is not poor in spirit. Look at verse 11. A certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them he, so he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and, and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will rise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. We see the younger son shows us how to be poor in spirit and not poor in spirit. The younger son wants all of his portion, doesn't he? He wants all of his goods that befall upon him. 
What kind of person is that? To try and get it before you're supposed to? Isn't that kind of a guy who knows it all? Isn't that kind of a self-righteous person? Somebody who's self-seeking? Someone whose pride is through the roof? A person who says, I'll show you. Just give me what I need and I'm going to be on my way because I got it all figured out. But after this famine hits, where is he? He begins to be in want. He ends up in a pig's pen. He ends up desiring the food that comes from the pigs. The pigs are about to get this food and that's the food that he wants. He says he would gladly have filled his stomach with the food of the swine. Think about this comment in Proverbs. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. But look what happens. Here he was caught up in all this self-righteousness, caught up in a bunch of self-stuff. And then verse 17, it says that he came to himself. I love that word. I love that phrase. He came to himself. What did he do? He understood that his father's servants have enough bread and I'm out here hungry. So what am I going to do? I'm going to arise and I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to tell him that I have sinned. I messed up. I'm not going to blame it on somebody else. I'm going to admit it. That it's me. That's the problem. I can't do it. The poor in spirit is a person that admits that they have sinned against God and they're not worthy to be his son or belong to him. But the opposite of that, opposite of that is a person who stands before God and tells him, I deserve it because I got it figured out. Step out of the way, please, and let me just do my business. Whether that's a worldly person or a child of God, it makes no difference. What is our mind frame? Have we been a Christian for such a long time and really dedicating our lives to God's Word is just kind of a thing of the past? I mean, it's good and I did it earlier on and, and here I am right now at this time in my life and, and I really don't need it anymore. I know a bunch of scriptures anyway. I mean, I know all the stories, that man, I know those verses that he says. I don't really need to study for myself because I just know all those already. Or are we a new Christian? And we know that when we obey the gospel, our sins were forgiven. But now we can just kind of coast through, right? We did what we needed to do. I understand what I need to do to be saved and that's good enough for me. 
Turn to one more scripture and then I'm going to close out. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves. If you ain't got anything else, if I've just been up here rambling, brethren, focus in right here on this one. And then I'm going to be done and the lesson's going to be yours. Catch this one. Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Why was the sinner justified? Why was the tax collector justified? Because of all the righteous deeds that he's done? Because he was justified because he was perfect? If you were in the first century and you asked someone, who was uh, justified, the Pharisee or the tax collector? What would you think they would say? The Pharisee, right? Well, why would you say that? Because he did all of these things. He, he, he's not like the extortioner, the unjust, or the adulterers, or even like the tax collector. He fasts twice a week. He gives tithes. He does all of those good things. But who does Jesus say is justified? The tax collector. Why is that? Because he was poor in spirit. He would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven. Why did I put this guy praying like this? Because this is... The, the visual that you can get. Here was a Pharisee and a tax collector. And the tax collector understood he couldn't fix it. He wouldn't even raise his head. He understands the position he's in and he can't do it on his own. All self-sufficiency, all self-righteousness is out the door. He knew that God alone was the one who could save him. That's when we become blessed, brethren. And that's when we become a part of the kingdom of heaven. Here's the conclusion. The Greek word that Jesus used for poor has a special meaning. It's not like someone struggling, for example, to go through the Great Depression. It means much more than that. It means a person that is completely destitute. 
and helpless to change their own spiritual state. You know, you see this play out in 1 Peter 3.21. I love this. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why do I not have to invite everybody to the baptism? Why do I not have to invite everybody to come because I'm going to show everybody that I'm already saved? Because I'm not yet. Because I've come into the waters of baptism poor in spirit. Watch what happens in this verse. It says, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience. When I'm standing in the water, this is what my plea is. And that's what that means, is a desperate plea. I'm saying, I can't do it on my own. I've tried and I've tried. And I can't do it. I can't be good enough. But I'm standing in this water. I'm repenting of my sins. I believe that you're the Son of God and I believe that you died for me and I've confessed it before men. But I'm standing in this water and I'm looking at you, God, and I'm saying, can you fix me? Can you fix me? I can't do it. Be merciful to me. You know what God says? What you've been waiting on. What you've been waiting on. And you go into the waters dead, buried. And what does the Bible say? Raised to walk in newness of life. Added to the kingdom. Added to the family of God. I can't do it. But God can. But does it stop at baptism? Do I come to God pouring spirit and then let it go, as the song says, and do whatever I want? Absolutely not. I want to close with this psalm. Let this be your encouragement. Psalm 40, 16-17. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Those ones that seek and rejoice and are glad... Let such as love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. The Lord be magnified, brethren. Not me, not my actions, not the things that I do. Let the Lord be magnified. Amen? Let His name be exalted. But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks upon me, you are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. Don't delay. Help me. Be with me. Because your name is magnified above every name. Maybe you're here today and you are not a Christian. Maybe you're here today and you've not been poor in spirit. Maybe something else is guiding your life. You can make it right today. What a blessing it would be for somebody to obey the gospel right now.
Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be a great thing, brethren, to see somebody say, you know what, I want to become a child of God today because I understand what I need to do. Don't wait. Don't miss the opportunity to be added to his family. Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you're doing some things that's contrary to God's word. Maybe you're ashamed of it. Maybe you need prayers of the saints. Hey, you know what, brethren? I'll never be ashamed to say this to you, and I hope that you'll always do it. Pray for me, will you? Please, lift my name up to the throne. I want it there. I struggle, I do things that I shouldn't do. But the more I get prayed for, the more God answers the prayer. Huh? The effective prayer of a righteous man avails much. Lift my name up and I'll lift your name up. Pick five people. I hope you haven't dropped that habit. Pick five people that you don't talk to very much and pray for them all week in this congregation. And watch what the Lord will do to us. Whatever you need, come right now. Together we stand and sing.